What do we have that turns our work into resources for the community? Most of the people here have never met uh, Swami Satchidananda in the body. Uh, we should be more involved with gardening and farming. We should be more involved, I believe, with the ashram farm. Yogi principles will lead to more success in whatever it is you're doing. So why not business? We need that pizza place. I think that's critical. Happy and honored to be joined today by Alan Asangan Binstock. A little bit about Asangan before we dive into our conversation. He's a baby, baby boomer, born and raised in the Bronx. In 1970, he became a student of yoga and later a teacher and director of the Boulder Institute. His life in yoga continued at Sachidananda Ashram in Connecticut. That began in 1974. And there he served in maintenance and construction, as well as president of the ashram. He also served Sri Gurudev in later years, developing preliminary designs for Lotus, as well as Chidambaram and other ashram facilities here at Yogaville, Virginia. So Sangan, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. My pleasure. My pleasure, Abhi. Okay, so one of the things I wanted to talk to you about is this, this idea of community and a village and a town, what is it? Like, what are the essential components of a successful community? Well, just to back up a little bit, how do we get to towns? How do we get to villages? Uh, everybody thinks uh, and we just get together and get some buildings and uh, have a store and a post office and where we're going. But if uh, you look at all through history, uh, towns happened because of something. They were on a port. Uh, they were near a resource, near a silver mine uh, or a river, or they were a crossroads. And they were a great place just to stop and get fresh horses initially or gas later, and uh, they became places. So there's a reason for a town. We're lucky, uh, Yogaville is, is a yoga village and it has a reason. We're all here to be a part of a teaching and a practice. Uh, and a life, a lifestyle. And uh, while we have, any one of us might say something different, we all have that commonality, I believe. So what does it mean to the rest of us to be a village? And everybody has an idea. Well, we need a meeting place. We should have a, a place to get together. Uh, wait, we need uh, a gas station. Uh, every, every town has a gas station. Why don't we have one? You look at New England towns. That, that was always the prototypes in uh, architecture school. What happened? There was a reason for being there, as I said before. Um, then uh, you'd organize around the space, uh, a quad, a square. You'd have the municipal building, some place where everything was organized out of Maybe that same square had a church on it and maybe a few stores, a post office, whatever, uh, and a town initiated. That's very common, a very common diagram, not only of the, the geography of a town, but the idea of a town. What do you need? What do we need? What are our services? Uh, and then people, by whatever means, outside of that area, uh, made their living. They they had their fields, they produced stuff, or they had their leather shops or their liveries and fixed horseshoes, whatever they did. It was reasons to be a part of a town. 
know, we at Yogaville, as I said, we have a reason and bam, we're here. Here we are in central Virginia, just like we used to be around city centers, the Integral Yoga Institutes. And we had that commonality. We meet people in our Sangha who we've never met before. And well, to me, they're immediately family. Now, granted, I have cousins I don't talk to because we don't seem to agree on things and it's a lot easier to to share spaces separately. Uh, so we're not, uh, I wouldn't, I'm no angel. I don't immediately love everybody, but I feel like I'm family with everybody who's a Sangha member. And I think that's a great gift of Sri Gurudev's that we come here. I mean, I didn't know you. I felt easily relatable to you. And in time, uh, I'm getting to know you. Uh, and uh, I think that's what's true of our community. At the same time, though, we watch how we grow. Now this is a second and third generation of people who are here. What does it mean to be at Yogaville? What is What are those building blocks? How do we find what we need to do? What is it? Is it the simplest things we all share? A fenced area, let dogs run around? Is it uh, a grocery store? Is it, what is it? We all have ideas. We all are smart. That's a wonderful thing about the Sangha is if you figured out in your life that you want to be a yogi and then you want to practice yoga and then you want to live near people in a remote center of Virginia, you really want to be here. And that shows us to me a certain level of both comprehensive ability and intuition that puts you here. You're smart. You didn't just happen to bump into the place and say, hey, this is pretty nice. The food's decent uh, and I'll stay. You're here for that reason. You're, you, you have that uh, and uh, you know you want to work on yourself. But that doesn't answer anything about what do we do to make a town? And uh, I know you have ideas. I've seen, I've spoken to others around, but to me, it, I, I fall back on the easy stuff, the, the academia of urban design, what makes a community. And uh, the challenge for us now is all of the things we would make on a list require resources, require money. You know, how do we have the community center? How do we have the medical center? How do we have the senior center? How do we have the schools and on and on? That all comes, if you go back to basic town design, it starts with the guy in the field who brings in the crops and has money. And that money creates jobs and creates the stuff we're talking about. You don't have uh, the town hall or the bowling alley or the candy store or the pizza place until there's money here. So my brain, I, I think uh, the focus is for all of us, and uh, I'd love to know what you think, but I think the biggest first focus is to network and figure out how to bring in people who develop. I don't think you or I are developers. Developers have money or access to a lot of money uh, and people who are willing to invest in the 10, 20, 200, unit homes or the grocery store slash uh, takeout stand and, you know, and a pizza place. We need that pizza place. I think that's critical. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
But so basically we need to attract somebody who's going to do the cottage industry. We've done that before uh, in the ashram in Connecticut. Uh, the city centers have done it and we still have yet to really do it here. Distribution is an example of it, but where to go from here? I don't know. What do you think? Yeah. So my mind goes to two different points of focus. One is, you know, resources, right? And well, you focused on money. So that's business. So, I mean, that's a whole topic is, you know, how to run a successful business with yogic principles without losing the principles. And, and actually, I feel that with yogic principles, it's possible to run a even more successful business. I mean, my feeling actually is yogic principles will lead to more success in whatever it is you're doing. So why not business? But you know, we could talk about that because that 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 tends to be a rub, right? Because the traditional yogi isn't seen as a successful business person. Um, and why is that, right? And can those things be be molded in a healthier relationship with business and and money be formed? the The second point of focus is once you have the money and the resources, well, what decisions are being made and how to decide where to invest in the grocery store or the gas station or the pizza place or what it is. So that, that in terms of resources and what to do with them, that brings me to leadership and how decisions are being made, structured and how decisions are being made. So those are the two focuses that, that come to mind. What do you think? And do you want to dive down either one of those rabbit holes? Well, leadership, we split in a few places. There's ashram leadership, and it, it may make it easier, and you may not agree, but if we look at ashram as monastery, we look at the whole of the ashram as monastery and everything around it as yoga village, the community. Monast an ashram is a monastery. In India, it is a monastery. Uh, if single people are there, they're there. Uh, and it's informal. I've seen and married people are there as well. But it's essentially a monastery. So in, in India, you don't go to the monastery uh, for a job or for housing. But that seems to be the way it works here at the moment. So I think of leadership outside of the monastery, which is our village. What do we do to make things happen? And I think some of it's already happening. There's a community association where uh, there's socials, important, very important, get-togethers. There should or are meetings. I don't know. I'm, I'm not here long enough to know that. But I think there should be some meetings that are focused exactly on this. Like, what do we do? What do we do? How do we move it off the dime so we can have our wish list? We've done the wish lists so many times in so many places, I could probably rattle them off. But the point is it all comes back to how do we do it? I mean, we don't, none of us have deep enough pockets, so how do we do it and what is the business? Let me just slip in one quote that I loved of Gurudev's, because people said this and look, we were, many of us were children of the 60s and uh, didn't carry around, have money, didn't worry about money, it wasn't an issue, but, now, here we are, parents, grandparents, children who we'd like to see go to college, cars that need replacing. It, it, there seems to be a need for a flow of resources uh, that we both agree should be acquired yogically. 
Gurudev said something about actions that broke down into three pieces. Um, I've said this before. It's one of my favorite quotes of his is an action that takes more than is given. You, if you get more than you gave, he said, you're a thief. If you took away from an interaction more than, than you actually put into it, you're a thief. If there's a balance where everybody's happy uh, and there was a sharing of energies, uh, resources, and you came away with the fruits of that work, as did the other party, that's good business, he said. Nothing wrong with that at all. Nothing wrong with that. If you gave more than you got, if you put more into it than you got, you got what you needed, you didn't come away empty, but you gave more, he called that a yogic action. With that idea and, and what you called yogic business, anything can be done. Uh, the challenge is where does it come from? I don't know how to develop, to create a development. Uh, I understand the mechanics of it and uh, I can serve parts of it in terms of zoning. And I mean, I'm talking about housing, you know, getting land and you break it up, you zone it, you do this. And that all takes somebody with resources who, who does that uh, or at least broaches with people who have land. And that's how many of us are living here. I'm on a few acres uh, that was originally one large parcel that somebody bought and divided up and broke into pieces uh, and did what was needed to do for zoning in terms of, is there water here? Is there perkability for, uh, seems like country living is water in and water out. If you have water, a well and sewage, power can be brought to you and everybody's happy. So who does that? Where does that come from? Well, the expertise is right here, is resident. We have folks who know how to do that. But again, it's the resources that get that started. So that's probably the first, but not the only thing. Once you have something started with a village, what happens? How do things go forward? Well, sadly or happily, I think it's dictated by what's the source of the income. Whoever owns the uh, whatever it is, let's call it the factory, the office pod, the IT, uh, R&D, uh, facility, whatever it is that generates jobs and income is going to have a lot to do with how things move forward, at least surrounding that work. Uh, and then uh, the community is free. Then we're all employed. We're happy. We're making uh, money. We're, we're not dependent on the ashram. We're, we, do, we go to the classic uh, history. We're bringing the loaves to the ashram. We're you know, the monastery is where we would, in history, we would tithe our income. We would basically support. And it's a lot simpler that way uh, when we get to that, I believe. So there isn't all of that fuzziness that happens when the ashram right now is the employer, is the source of work to some degree. And the housing, uh, you know, in charge of the housing and all makes it very muddy. So um, for my Nicholsworth, I hope we as a community uh, can grow up and pass that and turn around and serve the ashram as we would serve any church or monastery. You know, we, we want that teaching to remain precious and to see it grow. Um, uh, and that's the bare bones beginning is to find some way for all of us to work.
Uh, I'm lucky I'm part of a generation who's done that uh, and is retired. Uh, I'm looking now at creating that. I have a studio uh, that I thought I was going to keep doing large public commissions. While I still look at that, I'm looking less at it and more into making it into a an arts and healing facility uh, to serve people who are just needing that experience right up to cancer patients who really need that experience. Um, I'll diverge to that for a moment. There's a, in DC, there's the uh, Smith Center for Arts and Healing. Uh, Shanti Norris was the director of that for a long time. And I knew them and I knew Barbara Smith Coleman, who was the founder. Uh, and uh, that's been, that center has been serving cancer patients for many years now, both in the center and in the in hospitals as well. And uh, that to me is a great way to bring yoga to the workplace. I don't know what kind of uh, incubator it's gonna be for um, creating jobs, but that kind of thinking is the kind of thinking I'd like to see us all have, is what do we have that turns our work into resources for the community? There's a part of me that wants to go back a little bit and just ask you, because we're talking about yoga and what it is and how it, it affects these different areas. I'm curious, how would you define what yoga is? The rabbit holes everywhere. <laughs> Who's the leader? What's, what's yoga? Ah, well, the definition, I think we all agree on. There's a, a, a practice that's laid out in Raja Yoga uh, for, uh, that takes us through what we would need to do. I think that Raja Yoga to me is the toolbox and sort of the backbone of, of integral yoga. And certainly the yoga that Gurudev has always practiced and taught. And it's the yoga of his teacher, Master Shivananda. Uh, the, this idea that the cleaning of the vessel, his an analogy uh, when someone says, well, how do I get to the light? How do I find the light? And he would say, the light is in us. We are the, the light. The light is within us, but it's not about knowing that uh, alone or going, aha, okay, I'm the light. What next is it, it's something that's a little more uh, difficult to get because it's a realization. It's sort of the aha moment to know I am this, I am that, I am that light is in this is the goal. And he says, our work in, as yogis is to see that light surrounded by the uh, blackened chimney, the glass chimney of an oil lamp. And yoga is about cleaning off all that, that soot so that we can see the light. It's not about inventing it or believing in it. I love the idea that yoga uh, as taught and practiced by us is not uh, a path that faith defines. Faith comes in, we can have faith, we have some faith, we take that first class, we go to that first talk, and it builds. I think faith is something that you bring to the table. Yoga is something that's there for you to experience via uh, picking up the tools. 
the various tools. Um, to me, yoga has always been um, blessedly simple in layout, that it's very clear that what it takes to enter into the world of yoga. You know, there's some practices we do. And if you think about a Hatha yoga class, which is body postures and some breathing, all of that is to get you attuned and ready for that little bit of meditation at the end. That all of that has its benefits, certainly for organs, for breath, for mind. And as you go through that class, you then get to a point after deep relaxation and letting go of all of these things that may we may label anxieties, uh, nervousness, tensions, and things. And for a moment, be relaxed. And then we fire up the blood system. We balance it with the oxygen of the pranayama and focus and center and have that moment of meditation. And he said that I'm not, I'm no genius. I, I've listened to him. I paid attention uh, uh, a piece of the time, enough of the time to get that, that it's really about having that experience a little bit. And that little bit becomes our goalpost. How do I have more of that? Well, it's not just by taking a hot class all day long. That's what all of the rest of the practices are about. What is it that gets us to that real centered, peaceful place? And I love that he described it as uh, it's not about good or bad. That's something else that drew me to yoga and why I became a yogi. Um, I grew up in a generation of disaffected Jews who were not practicing or culturally together. I loved the holidays, the family, going to temple, uh, even the bar mitzvah, but I didn't feel connected to it. So for me, it, it took a while to sort out what, what even a spiritual life was about. And I wasn't consciously sorting it, sorting it out. Uh, I was busy avoiding going to the rice paddies of Vietnam and uh, at the same time practicing uh, a fairly uh, proficient level of hedonism in the 60s. Uh, I think I was good at it. <laughs> and uh, then comes this teacher who uh, offers something that uh, I didn't even buy into. You left out, you know, the less than uh, positive part. I, I went to classes in the 60s um, and uh, with people who all became, many of them became what we call the pioneers. They went to various centers, places and open centers, LA, San Francisco, uh, Chicago, everywhere. There were centers all over for a while. And uh, initially I went to classes and uh, it was okay, it was good. He made his point and uh, um, wow, uh, what's that? It was, it didn't strike me. It took years later. Uh, it was, this was in 66. I went to classes. It was 70, 1970. Uh, I came out of the mountains. I was retired. You know, what does a hippie do when he has it all? Well, I had my little cabin with a girlfriend, a bag of rice, a bag of grass, uh, my carving tools, a flute. I thought, this is it. I've given back. It's time to rest. I'm not sure what I ever gave back, but, uh, I came out of the mountains to see a class, to see a talk. 
I saw a picture of Swamiji and uh, my motivation was, well, here he's here. My friends from New York will all be here. Uh, I'll go see him. I'll see my friends. And I was a different person. I was taken by him very deeply and I followed his teachings. Uh, I mean, I began to and uh, became a practicing yogi. I moved into the Boulder Integral Yoga Institute and uh, worked there. Uh, I'm not uh, a great yogi. I simply was tenacious in a time when other teachers came and went and students and uh, many of the people, most of the people in the IYI in Boulder uh, were there. They left. They went on to other things. Others came, but uh, a couple of us looked around at each other and said, hey, we're what's left. We're going to run this thing. We'll have to do this if we want to. And that's how we continued. Um, in those days, you can become a teacher after maybe a few months of taking classes. You can learn how to teach. And probably within that first year, I was training teachers. So yoga became something that was my life as a lifestyle. The thing about yoga, just to go back to it for a moment, is Swamiji spoke of it uh, and talked about the path forward in Raja Yoga, all of the various tools in this box, uh, with a sense that it was detached from any moralism, something else I thought I had a little too much of growing up about that's wrong, that's right. And uh, religions, as often presented, is very much about right and wrong. He goes, yoga's not about that. He's not. And he, you know, we went at great pains to look at what it was. Well, if it's not about doing the right thing and wrong thing, how are you a yogi? I mean, it's like this sea we're floating in. And uh, as taught, if we look at the yamas and niyamas, they're not the Ten Commandments, although they sound like them. The, ten, the yamas and niyamas are about what is it that will bring you peace? What is it that will take away your peace? So looking at the mortal acts of man, if you shoot someone, the yamas and niyamas will point out that, oh, look, this is an incredibly powerful way to remove your peace. You're not at peace doing it. You're not at peace afterwards. Uh, it's not to say it's right or wrong, but that's what yogic practices were about. And I said, look at this. I can do things to find that moment, to find that peace. I can practice it without being having a finger shaken at me, uh, and I can move forward. I thought yoga was wonderful. And it's interesting that all these years later, we see these movies uh, from the most uh, in-depth, deep movies to the most mundane. Star Wars, this whole idea of uh, you'll follow the dark force, the dark side. Well, these are all, all these movies were made by Buddhists, yogis, who were saying, hey, you, anybody can develop this power, this insight, this growth, this ability, you don't have to be a good person. That's why yamas and niyamas are presented very early to us as students. You want to be able to find that lifestyle that brings about peace to you and those around you, and that doesn't take it from them or yourself. So it's a toolbox. I think I've been trying to use each tool carefully, uh, best I can. Um, 
It's hard. I, I think I grew up, uh, I feel like I grew up in the circus and I uh, only yoga got me off the clown bus uh, for a while. I mean, I, I, I wasn't a student in school. Uh, I was barely a student in college. I, I fell through life uh, looking for uh, the simplest way, maybe the most easeful way. I don't know. It'd be nice to pay, go back and paint my life as a better life. But uh, I look, even Gurdjieff took me aside once and I said this earlier to someone uh, and uh, one of the programs. I said, you know, he brought me over and I thought, great moment, great, great teaching. He's going to talk to me and tell me something. Uh, and he went, hmm, with a stun gun. Lazy boy, very lazy boy. So he got me, he knew it. And uh, it's something I worked through to get to. Uh, I tried to be a good yogi in my life and here we are sharing that. How do we all be good yogis? Did that affect you a lot when he said that? I'd like to say yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to say yes, uh, but um, it was it was in a context of him being very familiar with us at the time. We lived in the yoga, in Yogaville, Connecticut, and he was with us all the time. And uh, it, it certainly gave me pause, and it made me realize that uh, I need to pay attention a little more to who and what I am and, and how I deal with people. You know, don't just shrug. I once told someone this coming out of the, this young woman coming out of the teaching academy at the ashram, she saw uh, gray hair and thought, well, there's a senior yogi, comes over to me and asks me a question I hadn't heard in the 40 or 50 years and said, excuse me, what's your favorite pose? And I said, what? She said, what is your favorite Hatha yoga pose? She asked me that. And as I said, uh, you know, I, I like to be helpful, but I, I am still a bit of the clown. And I went like this. <laughs> Tell me. No, I just showed you. That's my favorite pose. She said, lifting your shoulder and bringing it down. And then I leaned in and whispered, no, lift and release. And she looked at me. And I smiled and I said, I don't really have them, but that's that's the best I can offer. And I thought about it later. It's sort of like uh, life uh, is uh, imitates art. Art uh, includes comedy. It's just that that's it. It's really about letting go. I was given the name one who's not attached, a sangan. Uh, I don't know if it really makes me special or the really the class idiot that there aren't many others. There's one other I met once. But uh, yeah, so it's that letting go. Even this, the the question that we ask, such a popular question: What is your favorite blank? Right. To me, this is connected with what you mentioned before in terms of of moving away from the good and the bad, and maybe let letting go of that. And that's really what what yoga is, and what Guru Dev saw um, was you know this this tribalism, this this the ego itself that I. This is my opinion. This is my favorite pose, you know, and taking our opinions of things very, very seriously. And I mean, I, I just I'm noticing it more and more. And I notice it within myself, the tendency to do that. And a, a part of my practice is becoming just releasing that, just releasing my opinions, my opinions 
are are not really you know that important um yeah what do you what do you think about that the connection between this my favorite blah 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 or what is your favorite thing and that that question kind of symbolizing a larger point that you were trying to make about good and bad and moving in another direction well look we're we're all we have a similarity we have this overlay of uh yoga practice sadhana uh even call it a belief system we believe in yoga as a life and uh the teachings of swami satchitananda as very important to us but we're all individuals there is generations here who've never met the teacher alive and in the body uh to them he's what he's this person who we see videos sitting in a chair speaking answering questions i mean even to some degree they created that program word of stories so that uh, they would pry us all out of the senior home to tell old stories of him doing everything from uh, playing volleyball and riding horses to, you know, blessing babies and all, and to just get a little feel for what that is. But most of the people here have never met uh, Swami Satchitananda in the body. And so there's a lot of individuals with a lot of thinking. And it goes back to your question is a lot of the stuff we tend to get involved with is what Trungpa Rinpoche called mental chewing gum. He said, well, the mind needs to do something. So it does this. It's not important. And Swamiji made that very easy for us. Uh, it was always confusing because we would say, well, could we do this such and such on the next month? And he would think about it and he goes, no, it, no, do it the next day. That's a better day for it. And you always got the sense, having fallen out of the 60s, that there's astrology involved, there's numbers involved. But he never gave that to us. He never said, he said, it's not important. you got enough to do. You know, you're, you're just beginning on this path. Do it. Practice it. The rest of it's not important. And I try to look at what we're all doing. And I'm looking at all these people doing all these things. That so much of it is that. It's not important. What's important is that we remember that we're trying to work together to, uh, you pick the analogy, get the water out of the boat and get it moving forward, uh, uh, you know, get everything done in the fields, work together and somehow uh, be positive, a positive force to help this community grow and flourish. That's the challenge. All the other stuff is the mental chewing gum of things. And uh, some of it's confusing to me. Some of it's very confusing. You know, there's people who have their uh, various ministries you see on. And uh, to me, it's new. I'm the, I'm the guy who needs a 12 year old kid to reset something on a phone or a computer. Uh, and, you know, my son picked up a pencil once off my desk and said, what's this, Dad? You know, he was teasing me. Old guy, you use pencils. I said, yeah, I have a sharpener, too. Uh, so what is it that's important, I think, is the question you're asking, or at least the question I'm molding your question into, is that, yeah, we all think about different stuff. We can discuss different stuff. Uh, I think we need to remember more importantly that all of this discussion is fueled by a greater need to, in the end, have the community uh, and to have the 
life that's in and around uh, integral yoga and uh, the teachings. And uh, we don't have to spout the teachings. We don't have to walk around signs of the, the teachings. We have to live it. And that's living a right life, you know, right livelihood, I believe in. And I think that's what it's about. That, that's such a beautiful question. Like, what does it mean to live a right life? What are, what are my priorities? Because there's so many different things, you know, jumbling around in there. And, and so to take the time and to sort out, like, here's what's most important to me. Two things, you know, come to mind uh, for me. It's love and gratitude, you know, um, what is the role in those things in order to, you know, get the water out of the boat and move things forward? Because if the foundation isn't this love and kindness for each other, and also a celebration of the situation that we're in, as opposed to, oh, it's stressful, we need to survive, and we need to figure it out, or else, you know, we're going to fall into disaster. Um, What is, what do those energies lead to is what I'm really interested in. You know, um, maybe, maybe there is some, you know, productiveness that comes from, you know, the energy of, you know, scarcity or fear that can't be, um, that can't be uh, duplicated with, you know, love and gratitude. Uh, But I, for one, think that in the end, you're going to go a lot farther with those kind of energies uh, than you are with the, the motivation of fear. That's a lot. You know, it's like you're juggling these little fireballs and saying here. Okay. Uh, I agree. Uh, there's nothing you said that, that one could disagree with. I mean, that we, if we live a life of, uh, well, we're a life of service. Um, I gave a talk, the other sat an earlier satsang uh, on karma yoga. I think we can get, it's very tricky here because you have a mixture of ways to feed your family when you're here. Uh, and some of them seem to depend on the ashram. And uh, that's a tricky thing that will sort itself out in time. It's gonna be a challenge to make all of that work. Cause I think part of the problem has always been with integral yoga, whether you were in New York, in Boulder, in LA, San Francisco, you had to do either be at that time a, early on a whole time worker, which we lived the lives of monks. I was no, never wearing orange, but we didn't get any have any money for years. We just got food, uh, sustenance, medical needs as we had to. I needed a new pair of jeans. Uh, I had to send a note to the treasurer. Life was very simple for us then, uh, and there were no nobody was paid. Uh, if you had a job that was on the outside, you came and lay and lived there. And in a way, it was like the ashrams in India, that uh, uh, nobody made money at the ashrams there. They would show up. They would bring bags of carrots or loaves of bread to the ashram. That's a hard one. Here we have this whole right livelihood is so mixed up with, in the end, you know, this world we live on. And it's not that simple. It's complex. You know, at some point, a kid or an adult's going to need a root canal. Uh, you know, the car needs a new 
uh, engine or you need to your point about money. Money is very useful stuff. Well, it's, to, it's, to have sort it. of, it's important. How do you, how do you make all that work and still be a positive energy for the ashram and for yourself and the community is the question. I don't have the answer. I do know that we have to be clear about what we come here with people. The early pioneers of Yogaville, Virginia, uh, all worked. Uh, there was still whole time workers, people working in the community, but then you have families who are here who are all, you know, they had construction companies they formed. We know the metros and others did that. And a lot of people did what I guess I wasn't ready to do, which is to travel an hour each way to Charlottesville to work in a, in a bona fide job as an office. To be an architect here would be a two-hour trip every day uh, for me. And we decided we could be more useful uh, to uh, Gurudev and to us. Uh, it wasn't just about what's the best to do. And we talked with him about it. And he says, well, do what you have to do, sort it out. And uh, that's why it took us 40 years to finally move back. It's hard. Yeah. and But now, I mean, this is really kind of the time that we're living in with coronavirus and remote work. I mean, it's been like this for a little bit, but it everything just got real um, fast-tracked in terms of the possibilities of, of your job where you don't, for so many jobs now, so many, you do not need to physically be there. All you need is access to the internet and you can provide a service. So this is really a game changer for, for those in a situation like us, because it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to make those long, long commutes. I don't know what it does mean necessarily, but I do know that the possibility uh, has changed. Um, I think it's a, uh, it's a boom. Certainly. I mean, the hippie dream of, uh, having the cabin and live, and being able to walk around barefoot and planting a few vegetables just got upgraded to, uh, you know, working in Silicon Valley remotely and doing the same thing. You know, whether you like sandals or bare feet isn't the point is that you have an incredible freedom if you're on that side of the divide. Many people come here with traditional skills that don't translate to going through a microprocessor. I mean, if you're a car mechanic, you have to do that. So it, it's a challenge. Everyone comes here with their own challenge for what is right living for them. How do they do it? Uh, yeah, that actually is reminding me of um, something that uh, I wanted to ask you about, and that is sustainability for a community. Because, you know, Right now in the world, in most communities are so interconnected. I mean, not only even within a country, right, but like globally. And that seems to create some fragility. So have you thought about this? Like, what is the model that is going to um, be the safest? I mean, really, we think about safety, like, right, if those trucks can't deliver all of those things, like, can can we survive? And, and anyway, is that just like a more yogic approach to try to be sustainable yourself and not to count, count on, um, you know, all outside resources, uh, in order, in order to keep yourself safe. Yeah. Well, Karuna and I, uh, talk about that often. We built this house, uh, coronavirus, as you said, did accelerate some plans we put in a garden because we thought we'd be living out of it. Uh, and, um, 
Fortunately, uh, supply chains haven't broken down, although I'm understanding that now late in the game, there are challenges to those things. We may see in the next six months issues with gas shortages, food shortages, things can happen. And uh, I am completely on board with your questions as well. I don't have the big picture answers. Uh, they're not easy. I mean, we can all toss them around. We'd like to have more solar power, again, uh, uh, to not depend upon some outside. I mean, what is sustainability? It's about uh, being able to do things uh, and keep going. And I guess in the age of coronavirus and shortages, how do you do it without depending on others? Well, to a large degree, I think uh, uh, we should be more involved with gardening and farming. We should be more involved, I believe, with the ashram farm and sort out what that means. I know the communities have talked about, let's have our own, and it's all good energy because it's saying, hey, we recognize growing stuff's important. So I think we need to pay attention to what's already here and how we work with it uh, for food. I don't think we need to go to the route Gandhi went to and spin our own cloth, but we can, if we can take care of food, reduce our use of fuel, uh, have more electrical uh, uh, needs met by solar or wind. It seems like solar here is really big. Uh, and uh, just see how we move towards that as we step forward. How do we make the ashram and our houses solar? It's, I believe it's a big deal because the signs are there literally. When you drive to town, you see all these signs for wineries. Well, wine country in California is out in these sun-baked valleys, which is getting enormous amount of this sunlight exposure. So I'm amazed and thrilled to know that we have that as well. I mean, that's why the vineyards survive. You can't grow wine in shady little corners. You need a lot of sun. So we have that to a degree. We have big floodplains down below where you know, the uh, lotus is and other places. How do we make use of that? further down the road? How do we develop our own solar farms? How do we have more food that's available to everyone? And how do we somewhere in there, going back to the very beginning of this conversation is, how do we find the work that it all feeds into too? That's a missing piece and we'll get there. We will get there. I firmly believe that. It won't come from working in my studio, uh, teaching art to uh, uh, people in need, patients or whatever, or it'll come from other ideas like that. There's one of our neighbors uh, uh, develops restaurants and food service and uh, is talking about what can we do here? We have another person who's uh, growing products for oils and maybe fabrics and I don't know. And it's gonna take a little bit of amping up and focusing on that. That's where I think your question about looking at our differences and a lot of the things uh, tend to be sidetracking. Uh, I mean, look, we're human. We're going to talk about everything that comes into our mind and we're going to share it. Uh, we're going to have our opinions and crazy notion. We're going to have our judgments. We will uh, judge. We will do all these things. We have to just remember as yogis, that's stuff that's just ephemeral. It's not important. Don't voice it, let it go uh, and uh, be the better human. So somewhere in there, we're going to find our path towards this balance. 
I think there was years ago, um, Swamiji said, hey, this is a community, let there be schools. And the place was crawling with kids. And we, my son was part of that in Connecticut. And now he's in his generation have kids that are here, uh, et cetera. And at the same time, there's very few kids at the moment. I'd like to see there's enough PhDs in religion and philosophy floating around here. We have that Wednesday night sutra class. Why don't we start the graduate school? Why don't we start schools? That's a big piece of our sustainability. We could get accredited as an adjunct to UVA and move forward to have our own accreditation now. I watched it happen in Boulder with uh, uh, what is uh, Rinpoche's university and they have a graduate program there. Uh, Naropa. 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 I'm sorry, go ahead. Is it Naropa? Naropa Institute, there you are. That kind of thing can happen right here. It's about the people who have the ability to organize it. Right now, I look around, I see everybody incredibly busy trying to, as we said, bail water and keep things floating in a time of coronavirus. But it's also the right moment to start laying the thinking down and the plans for what happens when things come back. We shouldn't be sitting on our butts going, well, I don't know, how do we uh, have programs every week and how do we have more people? Well, we have to grow that now. We have to see that. We have to open up the volunteer programs to get more people here, uh, hire judiciously. I, I, my preference is to see us go back to an earlier model where more people are here because of the idea of service uh, and, uh, you know, and that the wage becomes a secondary thing. And that's what makes us all shine to be that uh, fruit of karma yoga. Uh, and uh, we'll sort it out. I hope that the community association has more gatherings to talk about more of these seeds that how do we plant the seeds? What do we do? You know, right now, I, I don't know. I don't know what goes on. There was a YCA meeting in my studio. I don't know at all what happened. That was the representatives from the district. I don't know how things move forward, but it's all there. We have the groundwork. We certainly have the collective intelligence to at least take a hard look at where things need to go. None of us are going to invent the resources or a new persona to be developers. You know, if there's a developer or I'm just using that word uh, to be initiator who can initiate work or something and other things in community, that'll happen. That'll grow. You know, why shouldn't we have the playgrounds, the dog parks, all those other things while we're having the uh housing, multiple housing units go up and uh, a bit of commerce and uh, crazy notion, uh, you know, that a uh, uh, coffee shop uh, and for us New Yorkers, egg creams, you know, within 15 minutes. So I don't know. You tell me. <laughs> well, I'm not sure how it all happens, but I know that it happens together. Um, Sangam, thanks so much. We're about, about at our time. I really appreciate um, the the care uh, and the time that you've put into considering these things and, and sharing them. I, I definitely have a lot to, to kind of reflect on and, and think about for sure. My pleasure. Uh, I'm really happy you're doing this kind of format. 
Uh, I think it's a wonderful thing. And uh, uh, please continue. Do it. Do it with more people. You do it well. I, I appreciate you for what you are. Thank you. Uh, thanks so much. Asana. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this content and think others might as well, please feel free to share and subscribe.